hey, good to see everybody. Steven Stark, Bernie, Jess B, Archmaester Emma. She was about to post a big old thread in the, the patron slack. Curtis Franks, some of our new mods. I modded Curtis Franks, who volunteered, Guilty Undertaker, and Morally, if she makes an appearance, she volunteered to be them. Yeah, promise me that there was a lot of Lyanna Stark, a lot of Game of Thrones connections in this episode. It was kind of interesting that they were so clearly, in a lot of ways, they were trying to start a new show, but they did a hell of a lot of callbacks. I actually took handwritten notes. I showed you the blank side. No, it's not going to show up. All right. I took like four pages of notes while I was watching in an readable hand because my writing's like a doctor's. It's just freaking terrible. But uh, yeah, what'd you guys think? Was that thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs neutral? A lot of Game of Thrones and a bunch of changes, stuff I didn't see coming. I mean, we're going to get to them one by one. Oh, hey, Nessie, 26 art girl. I'm sure a bunch of you saw me earlier today on In Deep Geek. His name is a mouthful. Why did he make his name a riddle? Unlike something classy like Joe Magician. Good. Oh, that's a lot of thumbs up. A neutral. Interesting. I figured if anyone was going to love this episode, it was going to be <laughs> the people that show up for my streams and my chats. What did I do with my phone? They did make Damon a lot more interesting. That is very, very true. He is, Robert and I were talking about this, that in Fire and Blood, he's sort of just like a one-dimensional prick. And they put a lot of work into this one, and especially Matt Smith, into making him a lot more understandable what he's doing, what his motivations were. Okay. A happy kitty. Okay. Is that for Caraxes? Because he acted like a cat in this one. He was just purring while Damon gave him some scritches and was like, here, no, you, you can touch him. It's okay. <laughs> to my Saria. False advertising. I heard we were going to see Matt Smith's dick in this one. I didn't see his dick. Where was it? <laughs> I saw that in, uh, in some kind of slack. <laughs> like, you see his dangle. I'm like, did I miss it? Maybe I was looking down for a second. That's why I missed it. That's Targ. Mmm. Yeah, it's been a while, Steven. You normally play uh, Dungeons and Dragons while I stream, right? I might be changing that time slot anyway. I don't know if you guys know this. The reason I stream on two o'clock on Saturdays is because I had wanted to do that first stream with poor Quentin. And that was the time he had available. And then just kind of stuck. Like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that at the same time. But yeah, we're, there's a huge amount of stuff there. I think the top of the list is, yeah, actually, that's a good point. If it's a chivalry snow. He was scary in like just how like unpredictable and violent he could be. But then they also had him be kind of sweet and tender in ways, which I, I didn't really see coming. You have to stare at directly, see what you want. Maybe somebody got a screech. I don't know. I'm going to go frame by frame. We're going to find. It was a very smooth motion. He went and grabbed that, uh, that, that uh, robe thing and just spun it around him just so expertly. Way to go, Matt Smith. Yeah, poor Emma. I think we'll start there. I think we should talk with the, the highlight of the episode. This is the thing, if you guys were watching on Twitter, this is what I've been posting about. And the, I, me and Robert sort of talked about this, that one of the episodes that they gave for free for an HBO Max like preview thing, that the, they gave you five episodes that you could watch. And one of them was the very first one. And it's important to note that the start of A Song of Ice and Fire, the book series, is Bran. And it's Bran and they're finding the direwolves. And there's the Weirwood stump and there's the weird moment of destiny where John kind of hears ghost, but nobody else does. And he goes back and finds him. And then you hear like the, the wind through the leaves and stuff like that. And it's one of those, well, actually it starts with the others, but the, the main chapters start that way. And I thought it was very interesting that for this, for House of the Dragon, the first episode is really 
an introduction to Dragon Dream's prophecy and how it drives the decision making of the Targaryen family, which I understand they have to put that in, because if you're just coming from Game of Thrones on its own without having read anything, you're going to have a hard time sort of understanding where the hell they're coming from. Like, why would Viserys believe this? Like, why, why would he do this crazy thing just to follow a stupid dream? Like, who cares? Danny sort of does that in the show, but it's really it's really de-emphasized. And you don't really hear a lot about Rhaegar. Yeah, good point, Stephen. Rhaegar may have read Aegon's dream. Aegon's dream. Yeah, he very well could have. Like you see Rhaegar in A Song of Ice and Fire and you hear about, you hear the, the quote of him turning to look at Daenerys and says, he has a song. His is the Song of Ice and Fire. And there's a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff going on, on there. But to, I guess to really break down what we're talking about here, obviously the highlight or the low light of the episode, very a tragic, horrifying scene is obviously the death of Emma's, Emma Aaron. Just to go over what happened, the She's pregnant at the start of the episode, and Viserys is absolutely sure that it's going to be a boy. He knows it's going to be a boy. The first time he says, actually, every time he says that, somebody in the episode says back to him, it's not a boy. You can't know that. How the hell are you supposed to know it's a boy? It's 50-50. It could go either way. 50-50, like a coin. Hurts comes back to him and says, no, it, I know it. It's true. And he just kind of comes off like some like some crazy sort of obsessed guy. But then obviously from the stuff that we've seen in the teasers and the trailers and the reveal that we see later in the episode, it all kind of comes back into into focus. And he says it to Emma when she says to him, I don't want another child. Another child will kill me. And Viserys tells her about his dream, you know, that was clearer than the memory, the sound of the thundering hooves, the splintering shields the ringing of the swords and placing his heir, his son on the iron throne and the dragons would roar. And that that's, that's kind of the key to what we saw here about how much that dream pushed his decision-making throughout the entire episode. It is incredibly cruel what he did. So what he did, I guess I, I should just describe it. The tourney starts because Viserys went so far to plan a tourney around the, around the birth of his son. Can you imagine how much everyone thought he was absolutely insane? What do you mean you're playing a tourney for the birth of your son? How can you know it's a son? He's just like, don't worry about it. I got it, guys. I know it's a son. But he does it anyway. The tourney is going off. And as Damon enters the tournament grounds, you hear, you see people start running around the royal box. And eventually it's revealed that M. Aaron has gone into labor. Actually, he said that at the beginning that she has started her labor. And... But it's it's becoming a bad labor. It's 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 turning bad on them. And then they intercut various scenes of Emma Aaron's labor that's going very poorly with the scenes that we saw that Viserys described. So the th the sound of the thundering hooves they intercut that with the joust. So you see Damon roaring along those thundering hooves. Then you hear the uh, splintering shields and the ringing swords, and you see the same thing. Damon's getting his ass kicked by Kristen Cole after fighting him then you see and then there's another line something about his son but then it goes then obviously emma well okay so viserys goes to the birthing room goes to emma and archmaster mellows tells her tells him that he, he cannot save both the mother and the child he has that it's up to viserys to make a point to make the choice it's not up to viserys shut up mellows ask emma what she wants to do but oh, thank you for the super chat, Bernie. $5. Matt Smith can get it. Team Black forever. Oh, he does get it in this episode. 
And Melos makes the same. Those of you who read Fire and Blood may remember that this exact scene happens between Rogar Barath with his wife, Alyssa Valarian. They lifted it directly to it. And Melos tells him, tells Viserys that they can save the child basically if they kill the if they kill Emma, they can uh, basically cut her open in a, in a horrible, horrible cesarean section and rip out the child and save it. But it would kill Emma to do it. And Viserys really struggles with it for like 30 seconds. Oh boy. And he tells Melos to do it. Melos goes to grab his knives. And actually, I'm just going to read the, because this is directly from Fire and Blood. If you've never read it before, this is about 40 years before this happens. She is your wife, King Jaehaerys, reminded Lord Rogar, is for you to say the words. Lord Rogar, we are told, could not bear to look upon his wife, nor could he find the words until the king took him roughly by the arm and shook him. Save my son, Rogar told the maester. Then he wrenched free and fled the room again. Maester Kyrie bowed his head and sent for his blades. But then what happens afterwards, this obviously kills Alyssa Valarian. Reyna, Alyssa's daughter, hears what happened and shows up screaming into Storm's End and does this. Where is Rogar? She asked. She found him in the great hall with his son, Bormund, in his lap, surrounded by his brothers and his knights. Reyna Targaryen pushed through all of them to stand over him and began to curse to his face. Her blood is on your hands, she raged at him. Her blood is on your cock. May you die screaming. Rogar Baratheon was outraged by her accusations. What are you saying, woman? This is the will of the gods. The stranger comes for us all. How could it be my doing? What did I do? And then Reyna says, you put your cock in her. She gave you one son that should have been enough. Save my wife, you should have said, but her wives to men like you. So just in case you didn't get the, the message from the episode, the source material they're borrowing from tells you explicitly that Rogar was wrong and so is Viserys here. Incredibly brutal scene. Unlike the what George did in Fire and Blood, they actually showed it where... The maester comes in with his knives and they grab Emma and they hold her down. She starts screaming as they cut into her and it's intercut with the attorney with Damon and Kristen still fighting. And I, I guess I get what they're doing. They said they had Emma say quite on the nose early in the episode that the, the birth room is our battlefield. You know, this is what we do for the realm. We have children, which is unfortunately true at the time. And it's one of the things that Rhaenyra really rages against. And it's one of the things I think that makes Rhaenyra look the best is she said that everyone else is looking out for your child. Somebody needs to look out for you. And Rhaenyra wasn't there to do that for Emma. Viserys clearly chose his son over his wife. Horrifying choice. Yeah, the director said they were going to talk about the battle of the child, Ben. They weren't kidding. You no, know, they were not. It was heavy handed. I sort of knew where they were going as soon as they said that, but I wasn't prepared for exactly how graphic that was going to be. I thought the graphic part was going to be Damon cutting off people's dicks or the, the weird orgy scene. But no, that was that was pretty that was pretty terrifying. So there's a, there's a few levels to take on with this. I mean, obviously, Viserys murdered Emma right there. He basically murdered her. But the reason he did it, and that's the thing that I, th I think that's the lesson of the episode, if there is one, the thing they're trying to teach the audience is they're trying to teach you that the Targaryens make crazy choices, but they do them to follow these dreams. They do them because they see the future and they're trying to grasp that future and bring it closer to them because 
that's the whole reason that Viserys is doing this. In his dream, he th- he saw his son as Azor Ahai. He saw him as the prince that was promised. He saw him as the the song of ice and fire. And instead, he makes well he it gets him to make kind of a crazy choice. And it's that save the child because he thinks it's the the savior of the world to come. So I'm going to get into if Melos is telling the truth in a little bit. There's a sinister, it's a sinister thing. There's a sinister note of music that comes up later that is very, very curious that they, that they do. And Melos makes a face. So I'm not sure if he was correct about that. But anyway, Alan Fortune saying in the chat, it's not murder. It's what they had to think for the future. History has killed millions. And I think that's kind of what Viserys was thinking about. It's the classic idea that this talks about where, you know, what's the value of a bastard boy against a kingdom? And it's it keeps coming up in A Song of Ice and Fire where these characters who believe so strongly that they have a important future, that they are Zor High or they will create Zor High and the end of the world will come if they don't do the right things. Like this is probably the same logic that we're going to see from Stannis for why he ends up burning Shireen. It's why he thinks about burning, well, Gendry in the show and Edric Storm in the, in the books. It's, it, it's the, yeah, it's the greater good. And that's the level that Viserys is thinking on that. He thinks he understands what he's seeing. He thinks he understands those dreams he's getting. He thinks he understands what the song of ice and fire means and that this great cold is coming from the North and they have to be prepared. And you can see the torment on his face. It's not about just losing his wife. He's thinking about losing his kingdom. He's thinking about all life ending like Aegon saw. And that's kind of what gets him to the kind of what I think that's kind of what gets him over the line where he, he feels tormented about it, but he feels he has to, but he's wrong. He is wrong. And that's kind of the message of these dragon dreams and how they end up screwing with the Targaryen family. You try and chase them. It will, it's the sword without the hilt. It'll bite your prick off. It's all these things. And that, that they're starting there. That's where they're starting with our inter with the introduction to the, to the Targaryens and specifically them at the height of their powers is quite a thing. I guess they could have. All right. So fair enough. I guess maybe they, if, if Melons is telling the truth and they had no choice, they could have lost both. Okay. But the point is that Viserys's decision isn't, wasn't just, wasn't simple. It wasn't just a wife or his son. It wasn't, it was, it was all this weird magic stuff that George really puts in there. I also, if you, they also continued the metaphor, I suppose. Viserys's words at the beginning echo throughout the rest of the episode. He said, I place my heir upon the Iron Throne. And then, of course, then you see Rhaenyra being placed on the Iron Throne over Daemon. Daemon being effectively disinherited and leaving with Mysaria. But I don't know if you guys caught this, but at the very, very end of the episode, right after the, the image went to black, you heard their dragons roaring. And... They're trying to inform you as the audience that this is kind of the idea of like the monkey's paw or something like that, that Viserys's dream was true. Everything he saw coming did happen, but he didn't understand it. He did. He did have a son, but the son died within a day. They, he heard the thundering hooves. He heard the splintering shield and the ringing swords. He heard the dragons roaring and 
So it's it's the it's the problem with the Tyrians. How are they supposed to ignore these things when every time it has to come true? And I wonder if that's also why Viserys did the thing where he didn't. Rhaenyra commented that she hadn't talked to him in days since Emma's death, and you just see Viserys down with Boyan's skull on his own and sends for the Kingsguard to go get her. You have to imagine that he's sort of probably going back over that dream in his head and realizing, oh, I got it totally wrong, but that's okay. I can get it right this time. It'll be Rhaenyra who's the prince that was promised. It'll be Rhaenyra who will make sure the Targaryens are are there to fight against the darkness. Oh, thank you for the $5, Stephen Stark. Yeah, hit the like button, you guys. Silly hats. If we get enough likes on the stream, let's, let's go for 100 likes for the first silly hat. And it is a very silly hat. It's my, it's my Gurmy hat. And I, I've, I talked about this in the video I released the other day. I've been talking about this in streams, talked about that today with Robert. It's the first episode. What they're showing you is something to pay a massive amount of attention to. It's setting the tone and the tone set here is that the Saris and the rest of the Targaryen family are going to make some insane decisions, but it's because of the weight of the world they feel on their they feel on their shoulders. Like Viserys looked half mad when he was talking to Rhaenyra, didn't he? Oh, it is a George R. R. Martin hat. That's right. Yeah, that childbirth thing was pretty horrific. Definitely horrific. Gurmy hat. High tower. So actually, yeah, let's go and talk about that. Well, okay, so let's stop and let's go into the reveal that tells Rhaenyra in front of Brown's skull. And it's the idea that Aegon came to Westeros in order to stop the coming darkness from the north that would end all life and that actually Viserys describes it as not the white walkers he does he does not describe it as the literal white walkers as we know them i i sort of talked about this in my my video where i said maybe he saw something else maybe it was more like the rest of the dragon dreams where the images are more symbolic and hard to figure out and that's what happened he saw wave of death coming from the north a winter storm that would never end in all life ending hey thanks for uh, sticking around has he glue play hey not sure how to pronounce that one and that every heir since has known about it so okay does that mean magor does that mean magor the cruel knew about the dream of aegon did he know that his father conquered westeros in order to save it from the darkness is that why he went so crazy with murdering tens of thousands? Like possibly, I guess. Did he see the end of, uh, did he see himself as the prince that was promised? That would be a twist on his character. But I really, I don't know if it's a twist. It would be, he's still an absolute monster, but in sort of a similar sort of way as Harris making the decision to let Emma, to let the maesters cut open Emma to save his son, I guess you could make the case that Magor probably saw everything he did justifying the means justifying the end. Aenys was the heir. That's right, Eleanor Johnson. But Viserys said that every heir knew. And I'm not sure if that includes Magor. Visenya could have told him, or maybe Aenys did at one point, although Aenys had children pretty fast, so maybe not. Oh, that's a good point, JM, that the Grand Maester is a bad healer, relies on the novice to give advice about leeching and just agrees the moment he's contradicted. Interesting. So that could, again, go into the idea that maybe Melos is giving bad advice. Like, just because you're Grand Maester doesn't mean you're particularly good at healing. Like, I would not ask, who is it? What's the name of the Targaryen who's an, who was an Archmaester? One of Jaehaerys' kids. He did not study medicine, but he could have been a Grand Maester if he ever wanted it. 
but I doubt you would really ask for his medical advice on anything. He studied more like history and the higher mysteries, I think. Yeah, maybe his brother knew. That could be it. So this more or less confirms what I was talking about in those videos. The idea that the Targaryens have a purpose in Westeros. They are not just there as colonizing, you know, conquerors coming from the east to kick over the stupid people in Westeros and disrupting their society. They did believe in their, they believe they are being divinely led West in order to save the world. Okay. I mean, that doesn't super justify the rest of the stuff they do, but it definitely helps this guy in particular, because I was totally right about that. Me and Crowfood's daughter on the Disputed Lands channel. Oh man, nailed that one years ago. Totally right. When you look at all the different Targaryen kings and a lot of the insane decisions that they make, all of it comes down to reacting to this dream by Aegon. All of it is trying to follow it or trying to run away from it or trying to make sure it doesn't happen. Like one of the three, you know, it's quite clear that some of them like King Baylor was trying to run away, far away from the prophecy. He did everything he could. He was burning books. He was refusing to have children. He was locking up his sisters in the, in the maiden vault. I think it was his sisters. He, he locked up the, the Targaryen women in the maiden vault so they wouldn't have children. And then after Damon Blackfire is born, like Baylor went into just a complete meltdown about it quite clearly because he was trying to avoid Aegon's prophecy. He thought that if he couldn't, if he could just get away from it, he could make sure it never happened. Then the powers from the North never would show up. And instead they had Damon Blackfire is born anyway. And Baylor loses his mind knowing that there's no escaping the fate, I guess. Someone had a really good point on a stream on, I think it was yesterday, talking about perhaps that Aegon IV's debauchery is sort of like a, well, if the end's coming, whatever, like who cares? We're not going to win anyway. Dragons are gone. We can't win. Might as well enjoy what we got. Yeah, Baylor was ridiculous. Our bingo cards for me and Amanda, I think her bingo card's a little more wild than I am. Like the origin of the dragons, Grey King stuff. What's what's on my card? What would be on my bingo card for predictions to be proven right by this show? It is a fascinating reveal, though. I'm not sure how the rest of the fandom's going to take it. Like I've, it came out a couple weeks ago after people went to the premiere and then this ran their mouths. But then George said it the other day in the in an interview, so it was just like confirmed. And man, were there not a lot of people happy that Aegon conquered Westeros because of dragon dreams and the like? Real unhappy. Something, something. What would be a house strong? Something. If we get confirmed that Duncan, Duncan the Tall is a strong and Brienne as well, I think we're cooking with fire then. But it, it should weigh on Renee throughout the rest of the, the season. It's, I think it's unintentionally or maybe intentionally going to shade a lot of people towards the Rhaenyra side because she's so clearly will going on, going on for the rest of this succession war as it as it ends up happening, have the the right side, basically the idea that she's trying to not just save her throne, but she's trying to save the world. And it's going to become so clear that contrasting that against Otto and Aegon and Alicent, that they don't know this and they, they don't really have a concept for it. It's going to make them look a lot worse. I mean, you didn't need help. They look, they're going to look pretty bad already. Otto looked like a bastard in this one. What a dick. Matt's bingo cards entirely squares. The black ones are the best. Yeah. 
I'm just going to lose my mind when we get to the Blackwoods or <laughs> no Blackwoods, unfortunately. So I can't really give it a, anything higher than a C. There's only one strong and we only saw Lionel strong. No Laris, no Harwin, no Alice Rivers, no Simon strong, none of Rhaenyra's children. So like, I think it's a bust guys. What are we even doing here? I don't know. I, I sort of said all the things I wanted to say about the dragon dreams and stuff in my video the other day. Actually, could one of the mods grab the link to that and drop it into the chat? The the video I released the other day, the uh, why the Targaryens conquered Westeros. I changed the name a few times. That's what it's currently called, because that that video bombed. <laughs> Nobody watched that one, but maybe they will now. Now that I am incredibly correct. You're on Greyjoy predictions. This isn't poor Quentin's card. This is my card. I'm really curious, though. Does Damon know? So Viserys names Rhaenyra heir and then instantly tells her about the tells her about the, the prophecy, the Aeon's dream, the reason they're in Westeros, the reason they're kings, all this stuff. Viserys instantly tells Rhaenyra. So does Damon know? Did Viserys tell Damon at some point during his life? It would be kind of crazy not to if he never told Damon about Aegon's prophecy, you know, but I'm wondering because it didn't really come up between them at all. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you guys for grabbing that. There you go. Links in the chat. If you guys want to check out the video all about dragon dreams and prophecy and God help me children in the forest and free will and destiny, because that's how I roll. That's how we do these things. But yeah, check that video out if you want a way more detailed explanation. But I'm really curious if Damon, if Damon knows if maybe that's something that the two of them bond over in future episodes, especially because we see them doing their future wedding scene during some of the promos and stuff like that. And they appear to be doing not a wedding by the seven, but a wedding by Valyrian rites. Very well could be that the two of them kind of start commiserating over the coming long night and Aegon's dream. And that ends up being one of the things that really bonds them together. Viserys is holding the dagger to end the long night as he tells Rhaenyra about the prophecy of the long night, uses Lyanna's language, promise me, and mentions Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, that was heavy-handed. The dagger did show up numerous times. Viserys carries it on him pretty much everywhere, it looks like, which makes you wonder how important it is. But we're definitely going to get a scene, we saw this on the promos, that when Rhaenyra puts it in flame, you can see some runes showing up. So I'm guessing for Viserys, it is way more than just a dagger. As Bernie said in the chat, I mean, like maybe it actually is Lightbringer. Maybe it's a relic of the Targaryen house from years and years and years ago or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Matt Smith doesn't have any eyebrows. That's not a new thing. They didn't like shave them off for his Damon character to match his hair or anything like that. He just doesn't have eyebrows or no. What does he call them in Doctor Who? He says they're very delicate, very delicate eyebrows. There, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to just accept that Matt Smith has no eyebrows. I guess they can't draw them on because it would look ridiculous and they're not going to put prosthetics on his face or eyebrows. So such a shame. It's just going to make him look a little more weird and otherworldly, which actually is not that bad when you consider that they literally are supposed to seem like they are from another planet. As Rhaenyra said, the she said the line, you know, that we're closer to gods than men. I, I guess no eyebrows kind of makes that point. As you can tell you, I have a lot, to, I have a lot to say about this episode. What were you guys curious about in the episode? Like what, anything that confused you, anything that particularly caught your interest other than the stuff I've talked about? Like this was bait for me. This episode was pure bait for me as a person. They wrote this in and said, you know, you know, who's going to like this, you know, who's going to like how we're setting this up and we're weaving dragon dreams 
into kind of crazy real life situations. And we're going to show how trying to chase them makes it wrong and destroys your life. Joe Magician's going to like that. And God help me. They got me. They sniped me. <laughs> they got burned off with dragon fire. There you go. Maybe he'll explain it that way. Oh yeah. And there, there was an awful lot of Liana Stark references in here. We, we talked about this kind of the beginning, but they went real hard talking about John and Liana Stark and Daenerys too. They, they came in quite a bit, very heavy handed. So the first one was obviously, I don't know if you guys caught this, but during the joust scene, Boromir Baratheon, the very same kid that Rhaena Targaryen threatened to burn down House Baratheon for killing his mother to, for him to be born. He rode up and he asked a uh, queen that never was Queen Rhaenys, as I call her, uh, for her favor. And Rhaenys just kind of grabbed a, a wreath of flowers and stuff like that and threw it on his thing. It was a weird little moment because Otto just kind of went like, you could kill her for treason for that or Lord Barath. But if you looked closely at it, actually, let me see if I can pull it up. I did take a screen. Oh, God, what is my... I did take a screenshot of it. All right, let me see if I can go to... There we go. So you can see here right around rainy underneath Rainus's hand it is blue flowers it's a blue wreath being given to a knighted attorney this is very obviously a reference to uh the heron hall attorney you know the the tournament where all the smiles died i'm guessing that's what this attorney is going to be too you have the blue winter roses i'm not actually sure if those are blue winter roses but they're definitely blue flowers a, brand, a targaryen and after handing over the roses to the jester Basically, everything goes to shit. And let's see here. Go back to live. There we go. Then showed off the the jousting stuff before. The idea that you just like walked up like that. I remember. I'm so stupid that I remember from A Knight's Tale that the favor being given was like a ribbon or something like that. I wasn't exactly expecting a crown or something like that. Yeah, the big pointy stick, the jousting stick. And then so that was the first hint that we we're going to see a lot about Liana and John and uh, Rhaegar in this episode. And then it got even more. Viserys literally names the dream by Aegon, the Song of Ice and Fire, which obviously we know from the main book series. But it's also the line that Rhaegar says when he's talking to Elia in the House of the Undying. Elia asks him, will you make a song for him? He has a song, the man replied. He is the prince I was promised. And his is the Song of Ice and Fire. So again, referencing John and Danny right there. Viserys then goes on to a whole line where he talks about if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must sit on the Iron Throne and unite the realms and all that other kind of stuff. Again, quite clearly referencing how John and Danny both become king and queen as the long night approaches. Not necessarily the right ones, I guess. Like Danny's queen of marine, John's king of the north. But, you know, it does end up working the imagery of the dream pushing forwards makes a lot of sense. And then of course, at the end of his speech, he says to Rhaenyra, promise me Rhaenyra, which of course, that is the last line, the last words of Lyanna Stark. She says to Ned, promise me Ned, promise her to protect John or Aegon as he's named by Rhaegar and Lyanna, protect him from Robert's wrath, which is basically the idea there that she believed that her son would be killed if Robert ever found out about him. And also, I think that's an important point to go back to that. It's not just literally what's on the screen that we saw that you're supposed to contrast and compare Viserys here to what Ned does at the Tower of Joy, that they are linked subjects that the, the reference is intentional. Like for instance, 
when Ned runs into the, the Tower of Joy and he sees Lyanna, he has no thought of saving the child. He only wants to save his sister. And despite that, Lyanna still dies, but John ends up living. And Viserys sort of does the opposite. When faced with, the, with, that, with that same choice, Viserys makes the choice to try and save the, 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 what he perceives as the prince that was promised, the savior of the world. And it ends up being the character that sort of cares more about the mother than the prophecy is the one that ends up being, I guess, correct in a, in a sort of way. Just a fun, another way to dunk on Viserys. Ned did it better. Ned handled the situation. I mean, he didn't have a lot of choice in the show, in the books. He just like kind of runs up there and Lyanna's about to die anyway. But he goes to comfort Lyanna more than he tries to save the child. And it ends up being maybe something very important for what ends up actually saving the world in a sense. You don't want the Dacker to overshadow Blackfire and Dark Souls. The crazy thing is, I wonder how much they're leaning into that just because it's it has a huge part in Game of Thrones or how much it has a, if that meaning is going to cross over to the books. You're exactly right, Curtis Franks. Ned has no idea about the prophecy. It's almost like the only way to escape it is to know nothing about it. A future video. Yeah, George does have the, Bernie's right, he has the, this dagger. He, I think he might have the original prop or he, or he might have one. There's a, there's a metal smith that makes a Song of Ice and Fire swords and stuff like that. And... Yes, Jon Snow knows nothing. It's almost like it means something. And it's not just a weird saying that keeps getting repeated to him. Think about it. I forget the name of the company. It's advertised on his site. And the one I want is you can get a red oath bringer with Damascus steel, like a swirls on it. And you can get it with the oath keeper handle, but a Duncan the Tall shield. And it's like the best thing I've ever seen. Unfortunately, it's $500. So... Not exactly getting that one. Don't poke myself like Viserys did. It's almost like he was being punished by the Iron Throne for his bad decisions. The karma of killing Emma Aaron being visited back onto him. That's been sort of a thematic thing in, in the books in Fire and Blood for a while. It's interesting to see it on the, on, the, on the show that they're trying to tell you that the emotional cost of Viserys' choices is literally wounding him. I agree, Laura Seven Anne. The way he held the baby was very menacing. There were some people that asked some questions on Robert's stream about the Maester conspiracy, and now I think I see where they were getting at. They were spurry questions. Actually, let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's talk about the Maester conspiracy. Let's go there. Let's talk about it. So the first point that comes up with the Maester conspiracy is that Cyrus has that kind of wound on his back that he says is from sitting on the Iron Throne. It just kind of poked him or something like that. And Archmaester Melos has been trying to treat it and hasn't been working. He's leeched him. And I think that's kind of it. Something about humors or something like that. Nothing's working. Viserys is pissed off. And then a junior mate comes in, looks at the wound and says, it's not healing. We should cauterize it. Okay. Melos instantly says, yes, that's what we should do. If it was such an obvious solution, why didn't Melos think of it earlier? Why was it, why did it take a junior maester suggesting it for him to agree to it? Interesting. There definitely is a sense in, well, I know that Pycelle did not kill John Aaron, but he also didn't help him heal. He confesses that to Tyrion, basically. So that's kind of a, a weird place to start at. Melos seemingly being incompetent at healing and a junior maester can see instantly what the right answer is. And then Melos has no choice but to say yes to it. Okay. 
kind of strange. And then the second thing is that they get to the birthing bed. It's already been established in the show that Melos is not being a good healer, that he doesn't have good advice, that even his junior by like 40 years comes up with apparently the right answer that he can't see right in front of his eyes. That's kind of strange. And then he's talking about pregnancy. So already you're supposed to think maybe this guy's advice, what he's saying about what's going on with Emma and Balon may not be true, or at least maybe he doesn't know the right way to to fix it because they've apparently been trying and failing. Also, by the way, two more likes, guys, and we're throwing out a silly hat. Got 150 people watching. Hello, everybody. That's true, JM. Medicine is pretty advanced in Westeros, but the show is telling us that Melos isn't good at it. Curious. So then they come in and they talk about the, the baby and Melos presents it as this impossible choice. They have no choice. They either have to let both of them die or they have to kill Emma to, to cut out the baby. Okay, maybe that's true, but it doesn't seem sus at the moment. All right, silly hat time. Here we go. Boom. Going full girl mode. It's like sage mode. Oh God, I just revealed I'm a weeb. Yes, possibly purposely not good at healing. And then it's because of that choice that Ferris decides that he has to agree to cut open Emma. And it's the only way to save his son. It's the only way to preserve the Song of Ice and Fire. Just because Melos says it is true doesn't mean it is. Okay. So they certainly when you when they did the pan at the rest of the characters standing around Emma, all of them looked pretty grim. So what is the advantage of killing her? Asked 26 Art Girl. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. So after they kill Emma and they cut out Balon, Ellis is sitting there holding the child and the music is kind of normal. It's kind of normal. He says, congratulations on your son. And then Ellis looks at the baby and then the music changes for like just two seconds. It gets really dark tones, really overbearing tones. And it's the kind of thing, if I saw in a horror movie, I'd be like, oh, that guy's about to kill that kid. I think that would be my implication. And then what happens? In between that scene and the funeral for Emma, Balon dies. He lives for only a day. Now, I'm not saying that Melos definitely killed Balon, but boy, is the show suggesting that he's a bad healer and they're using the music. Yeah, the babe gurgled. He looked down and then sinister music hit. That's not good. That's, that, that's some classic filmmaking for, for telling you that something sinister is happening. All right. So did Melos kill Balon? Did he kill Emma? And the question would be, why would he do this thing? Well, it definitely goes into the Maester conspiracy that the high towers and the Maesters can be like this at times, especially when you get to King's Landing. Like a random country Maester off in the middle of nowhere, probably not. When you're talking about Grandmasters, they are so involved with politics that you have to wonder what's going on. Not what the Grandmaster said. He said, Emma was dying. The only way to save the son is cutting him out or both die. I think that's what I said. He said, Emma was dying. The only way to save the son is cutting him out or both die. Yeah, I, I think that's what I understood. It wasn't, is the Maester a high tower? I don't remember that part. So why, why would he end up doing this? So right after Emma dies, oh, goes into high gear. He puts down the, the gas to the floor that they need to get Damon out of King's Landing. They need to disinherit him. And then the other creepy thing that Otto does is that he sends to, he sends Alicent to go comfort King Viserys alone 
But before he does that, tells her to go put on her mother's dress, clearly telling her to look sexy for the king. So that's kind of messed up. Oh, did I get the quote wrong? I'm sorry, guys, if I got it wrong. Otherwise, it's in the gods' hands. So if Melos is trying to help Otto, then removing Emma Aaron from the situation opens up Viserys for another marriage. And if he kills Balon, then the possibility is the next marriage can produce an heir that has precedence over Rhaenyra and Daemon at the same time. So that would be the reason for possibly botching Emma's pregnancy leading to her death and then possibly killing Balon. Yeah, the mother's dress on top really drove it home. Like at first you could have you could have seen that Otto was kind of like just being like, you know, he needs somebody right now. You're good at dealing with people, you know, maybe he could use a friend right now. And instead he says, make sure you look good while you do it by telling her to wear the mother's dress. So the implication is clear that Otto sent Allison in there to plant the seed that they would one day met Mary. And yeah, he does move against Damon instantly. And there was chatter in the small council beforehand that clearly he had an alliance going with Melos and Beesbury against Damon, that they were in agreement that Damon had to go that he screwed up everything. They had complaints no matter what job he had. So it is incredibly convenient for Otto Hightower and he acts on it so quickly that I would be curious if Melos was incompetent or murderous with what he was doing or if he was incompetent on purpose. It could go either way. I'm, I'm sure we're going to find out more, but the show is suggesting that you should be very suspicious of what just happened especially because it what ends up happening in future episodes so clearly benefits Otto Hightower. Like it is a gift to Otto that Emma dies. They didn't kill the baby. Okay, maybe. I'm not, maybe they did. I don't know. If you're a maester conspiracy person, this would be the maester conspiracy. This would be a maester literally acting in the in a way that so clearly benefits the Hightowers. It would be crazy not to. I also enjoyed that we saw the back and forth between Damon and Otto, and we got sort of a hint of where why why Otto is so 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 much hates Damon. And the reason is that Damon sees that Otto is really leading Viserys around by the nose, that he is acting as king and kind of blinding Viserys to what's going on in his kingdom. He calls them, says that they are like bleeding him dry, they are leeching him. And it's clear that that is actually the root of the problem with each other, that Damon and, and Otto are clashing over their access to King Viserys and the ability to be his right-hand man. Damon pretty much says it. He says, you know, there's, a, what is it? For 10 years, you never made me your hand. Why not? Like, get rid of Otto Hightower. I'm your blood. You know, dragon blood is thicker than any blood or whatever it was. The Maester Conspiracy called, yeah, maybe. I mean, the Maester Conspiracy is maybe the most conspiratorial-minded conspiracy in the books, especially because it comes from a guy that pretty much does wear a tinfoil hat and Archmaester Marwin. But they're definitely suggesting something off about Melos. So that's really the core of their problems with it. And they sort of fight these proxy battles between each other. And you see that with Damon. He went and he picked Gwen Hightower as his the first person he was going to joust against. So Gwen is a character that doesn't get a lot of play in Fire and Blood. He just is just kind of there. But it's Alicent Hightower's older brother and Otto Hightower's heir. I mean heir to nothing because Otto has nothing. 
but Damon picks Gwen Hightower and then absolutely dumpsters him. So the impl- and then with the he pulls a cheap shot too. He posts his he pulls his joust jousting stick thing into the ground in order to trip the horse, which severely injures Gwen. I don't know. I don't think Gwen was killed. He's probably just injured, but you can see Otto Hightower's reaction to that. And he knew that Damon did it on purpose and that he did it to hurt him. I don't know, Bernie. Are you sure a maester wouldn't kill a baby? I'm not sure about it. Depends on the maester. There's a lot of them. So it's clear that he thinks that Damon might escalate that behavior. You know, he he screwed up Gwen in that joust. It was a dangerous move. It could have killed him. A lance. I'm sorry. A jousting stick is a lance. Oh, this is where my mind is at. This is what happens when you do two streams in a day. <laughs> yeah, Gwen all cra- clad in green, very Arthurian. But yeah, so the Otto's reaction to that is not only is it Emma Aaron, does Emma Aaron then die, but then Otto instantly moves against Damon. And not only that, he has moles in the, the, the city watch waiting for Damon to say something he can use against him. It's really a personal problem. He does say... During the episode that during that whole thing where they're arguing about who the next heir should be that, you know, Damon's Magor come again. And it's like, no, no, probably not. Unless you're talking about the fact that Otto is kind of going out of his way to kind of antagonize and, you know, make sure that Damon hates him for pushing him out of his inheritance. Damon obviously knows it's Otto that keeps sending him away. Viserys brings him back. It's it's that relationship. And why would the conspiracy benefit the Macers? Because quite clearly, a lot, they, they fear Magor the Cruel again. They fear him both. He, he, yeah, he's, he's not that bad. Although he did cut off a lot of body parts. That was kind of messed up. That's definitely not supposed to be a cool thing. Is this a spoiler stream? No. I mean, spoilers for Fire and Blood, but not spoilers for the rest of the season. I don't know anything from the rest of the season. And just to like drive home the point that Damon did do something very dangerous to Gwen. It's also juxtapositioned against the other violence during the tournament. If you guys remember, they showed there's an extended sequence with multiple knights just like basically killing each other in the middle of the battleground. And you get Rainey's talking about that, about how they're full of blood and seed, which was quite a line that there hasn't been a war since Magor the Cruel. So none of these people have seen war. And Damon's not doing that to Gwen. It's not, he's not Arian Brightflame. He didn't jump off his horse and then go over and try and kill him. It's not good. It's not great what he did to Gwen, but it's also not blissantly murderous. He's not killing him in front of the king or anything like that. It's bad. Wasn't that the melee? I think it was, it was the thing that they did where Damon lost to Kristen Cole and then grabbed a sword and they kept fighting. So I think it was that. That was the implication. One guy got knocked off a horse, tore down the other guy and started just beating the shit out of him. That was messed up. Hang on a second. Yeah, it's uh, very rainy. They're definitely drawing on Catelyn Stark. That's a good call, Guilty Undertaker. They're calling on Olena Tyrell and Catelyn Stark with Rainey's. Makes for a hell of a character. It was, yeah, it was bad sportsmanship. So he, auto, I mean, Damon didn't actually push it that far. But then it's clear that Allison has a thing for Damon. That was something. Damon goes up and asks for Allison's favor and she wants to do it, but gets a glare from Otto about not to go through with it. Don't give your favor to Damon, which at the time is not a terrible decision if he wanted to do it. At the time, Damon is still the heir to the Iron Throne. You know, accidents in childbirth happen. Heirs die. 
it's Damon has made it clear he wants nothing to do with Rhea Royce. It's not impossible that Damon may end up king. And if something happens to Rhea Royce, Allison would be another way for Otto to find his way to power. But he hates Damon so much that he passes up the obvious chance to build a better relationship through Allison with with Damon. And the two of them clearly don't have a bad relationship at this point. And actually, he kind of sort of flirts with her. So, yeah, this is super personal for Otto and has nothing to do with the rules of inheritance. He actually throws them away, basically, in that meeting. Lionel, Lionel Strong comes back at him and says, like, hey, like, you're not going to throw 100 years of precedent and the Great Council away, are you? And Otto says, yeah, I will, because fuck Damon. So, yeah, that tells you the kind of person that Otto is. This, all the arguments about how the Greens have the law on their side and they have precedence on their side with Aegon, it means nothing. Otto is admitting in this episode that it is a personal beef with Damon that is causing him and motivating him to do these things at court. Not that Damon's not a prick. Not that Damon doesn't wind up Otto. Not that he's trying to push him out of power. But man, is it quite clear that Otto's decision-making is not logical and it's not bound by law. It's bound by a personal grudge. So yeah, fuck that guy. Otto is Varys or Littlefinger without the subtlety. He was very Littlefinger like in this episode. Didn't you guys think so? Like I, at one point I was wondering if he was going to start like making his eyebrows go crazy or start stroking his beard. He had very much that kind of silky feeling to him that he wanted to, that they were having him play it very much like Peter Baelish. A jousting stick. That one's going to live with me forever, isn't it? A jousting stick. Oh, I see 125 likes. You know what that means? We're going wizard mode. Mm. Hey, Alicia Kingston, how's it going? Thanks for thanks for stopping by. Enjoy the love. Thanks very much. Did you guys do anything tonight? Did you did you guys stream or anything like that? Or are you planning to? Definitely shout out whatever content are you going to do in the chat here. Happy to link to other folks. Wish.com, Littlefinger. That's going to happen a lot in this show. You're going to see a lot of characters that are quite clearly playing off their Game of Thrones counterparts. Possible for Corlys to be a bad guy. Cregan doesn't trust him. Corlys is extremely out for himself. It was kind of strange seeing him in the, the small council. It didn't really seem like him and Lionel Strong were even on the same team. It seemed like Corlys was on his own team. I didn't get really a sense of what Lionel Strong was up to. Damon sort of enjoyed jabbing him at one point. He tried to draw him into an argument and Lionel didn't want to do it. Not, not sure what to make of Lionel Strong and Corlys at this point. Otto's a little finger who thinks he's Tywin. That's not a bad description of the character. A little bit of both. Otto is like Thomas Cromwell with the Boyland Sisters. Is this another reference to a show I've never seen? I'm obviously I don't know English history that well. I'm assuming this is from. Is there like an English Civil War movie or TV show I don't know about, Bernie? Watch alongs every Sunday, discussion to my channel at 9 p.m. Swing by if you have some time. Yeah, make sure you guys check out Alicia Kingston and her channel. They do great content. Not enough people watch them, but they should. She came on my channel a while back to talk about, ooh, it was Tony Teflon and I talked about, oh God, it was, it was the, oh my God, I need to, I am such an idiot. I can't even remember my streams at this point. I feel like it wasn't, was it Hota? Did we talk about Ario Hota? I think. It was either Ario or it was Okart, one of the two of them. I feel like that's what went on. I never actually finished that Doran series. I just kind of let it go. That's right. That's right. We talked about Ario Hota. That was a good one. That was a real good stream. 
So what was I talking about? Let me scroll back up. We were talking about Otto Hightower. Yeah, screw Otto Hightower. Man, did he suck in this episode. He comes off as such the villain. It was unbelievable how much they did it. And conversely, they had Matt Smith put a lot of pathos into Damon as a character. They tried to make him look a lot more sympathetic. And there are particular moments you can pick out I think that shows what Matt Smith has been talking about and, and how they're trying to humanize his character a little bit. And one of the major ones is at the funeral that for Emma Aaron, Rhaenyra is angry. I guess she does know what about the Ceres. Does she about him, about the, how Emma died? Maybe she does. She doesn't want to go talk to Viserys. She doesn't want to go up and she doesn't want to give the order for Vax to burn Emma and Balon's body. But it's Damon who honestly kind of sweetly encourages her and says, you know, they're all waiting for you. He says it quite nicely. And then he says that, you know, your father needs you now. I think the Damon from Fire and Blood is not the kind of character that you would expect to have that kind of emotional intelligence. To know that Viserys, how much Viserys is hurting, to care that he's hurting that much. And that he needs to be with and he needs to have support from Rhaenyra in this time. That they need each other. That's not the level of emotional intelligence I think anybody saw coming from Damon Targaryen. Yeah, it was a really good line, Rosie. You can totally understand where Rhaenyra's coming from. So that was one thing that really showed you that there was something else going on behind Damon's facade. I really do think it is partly a facade. Because they kept showing him after he went out and he was the the prince of the city and he and the gold cloaks beat up all those people and he cut off their limbs and cut off their dicks and stuff like that. He went back to the, he goes to the small council room. Then he goes to the brothel and he's with my and he's clearly just incredibly frustrated at what's going on with his life. And it's almost like Damon is trying to do what he feels is right. He's trying to do what he, what Viserys wants. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to be there for his brother, and yet everything he does kind of goes to ash in front of him. Of course, part of it is his arrogance. Part of it is his attitude and that he's so overly confident. Actually, like Bernie says, with him sitting on the throne and all that stuff, like you can feel where he's coming from and that he actually was the the heir for the heir for a day in line. You see Damon in that scene and quite clearly he's acting that he is hurt by what's going on that he doesn't that he's mourning the death of Emma and Balon and he's kind of trying to drink away his sorrows and he had invited all his friends out to try and all the members of the gold cloaks in order to try and like cheer him up but it wasn't working and my and like my saria noticed so of course then he says that speech and actually what do you guys think did he actually say air for a day oh good night steven good to good to see you around again did he say air for a day because all we saw was him toasting to Balon. He didn't deny it in front of Viserys. Maybe he didn't think it would matter at that point. A little curious about that one. It wouldn't be beyond it. He was clearly drunk. He was clearly upset. And all of his men were asking him to say things. Okay, so everyone's saying no. He didn't say air for a day. Cutaway assumed interesting. If he did say it, why not show it? Especially because Otto then says, well, I have two sources that confirmed it which is not for a Viserys, it's for you, the audience. You're, you're trying to, the show is telling you you have to believe Otto that Damon actually said air for the day. Oh, interesting, Emma. So you're saying he did say it, 
but the tone was not mocking. Hmm. I wonder if that's more the truth of it. There, yeah, there is some good ambiguity. It's kind of funny to have an unreliable narrator in a show with a camera for a narrator. They could have just showed Damon saying it. Actually, let's make this a poll. Let's throw up a poll here. This should work now since I closed that stupid thing. Okay. Did Damon say air for a day? All right, there we go. Poll in the chat. Which one do you think? Did he say air for a day? Yes, no. Or did he say it in a different tone? Not the one that Otto reported. All your watch party thinks he said it. Interesting. Interesting. Auto source. Trust me, bro. I think it is interesting that in that scene that Viserys is really taking out his anger at his own role in Emma's death and the loss of Balon on Damon. Damon didn't deserve it. Even if he said it and it's a crappy thing to say, that is no reason to strip him of. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the super chat. Happy Masquerader, $5. I'm glad they show us Matt Smith's dong. Please, HBO, don't give us the dong toru. Oh my God. And you're, of course, your your icon is Matt Smith as the doctor. Yeah, I wonder if we're actually going to see his donger during the rest of the season. I'm pretty sure we didn't see it here. Is Dark Sister going to be let off the chain, as it were? And would they even get, would they even show the real one? Would they have him put on a stunt dick? Questions you never thought you would be answering. How do you know Otto's lying? He's talking. That's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's probably close to the truth. Yes, Dan's sting stick. That's right. But anyway, thank you for the super chat. So 45% saying yes, he said it in a different tone. 26 just saying yes, no 29%. Mmm, curious. But I, I do think this speaks to what I was talking about a little bit earlier about Damon's emotional intelligence. I think he understands in that moment that Viserys is just is venting and that he just sort of has to let him do it. And that this is an emotional decision and maybe he'll get over it. There's nothing he can really do in the moment, which is probably why he flies away. He's like, I'll be back. We can fix this. But Cyrus is pissed off. And I thought it was interesting that when the moment where Damon steps towards Viserys, the Kingsguard raise all their swords and step to him like he's threatening King Viserys. And I don't think he was. I'm pretty sure he was he was not intending to draw a weapon and charge on Viserys or like hit him or something like that. I'm pretty sure he might have been like going for a hug or at least to like have like breach the gap between them. Because as you saw from the scene construction, Damon's way down here and Viserys is way up here. And not only that, he has the sword in between them and he has the King's Guard between them. Damon's trying to, you know, reach his brother. He's trying to go across the gap that Viserys has put up and he's instead rebuffed by the King's Guard. And I think that's kind of what I think that's sort of what Matt Smith has been talking about in his interviews about how he thinks that Damon is a much more complicated character than he lets than is let on in Fire and Blood. And I think that that's very much showing up in the show, you know? Yeah, I think that's right, Bernie. He needed time. He wasn't going to solve it. Clearly, he was furious. Maybe he'd reverse it later, but he wasn't going to do it now. I also thought it was incredibly astute of Damon to say what he said about how he felt that the, the small council was hurting Viserys, how it made them he they made him weak that they were draining him it may have been, it was true but may have not been the right thing to say in that moment because it's after he says that stuff that Viserys exiles him well sends him off back to runestone and Rhea royce i'm pretty sure he doesn't go i'm pretty sure he's going to dragonstone with mysaria and we're gonna get the, the dragon egg scene next week yeah rosie it's a good yeah exactly externalization of the emotional rejection Viserys has literally put swords between him and Damon, 
because that's how far he's going to go to not feel the pain of what of the guilt he feels over Emma's death and Balon's. You know, it's it's just probably Damon's flaw. He said the true thing, but he said it in the wrong context and he didn't say it the right way. And it made things worse for him. And that seems to be kind of his thing. Like he did the same thing to Otto Hightower when Otto's telling him he has to go back to Rhea Royce and Damon quips back about, why don't you like, do you want a new wife instead? Like, do you want her? Cause I don't. And he says like, well, you know, your wife recently died too. And Otto gets up and is furious and it looks like he's going to hit Damon. And Damon's like, what, did you not just lose your wife? It's like, you know, Damon, what you're saying is true. It doesn't make you not a dick for saying it. Yeah, I agree, Rosie. I think they used a visual language and juxtaposition and scene construction probably a lot better than Game of Thrones did for most of its run. Clearly, Miguel Ochnik was placing everything and he was using all the shots, not just to, I guess, block the scene, but to create layers of meaning that were not just literally on from the words they were saying or from the way they were acting. Everything that was placed there was for a point. Actually, Chloe on from Girls Gone Canon made a catch on Twitter that I didn't really think about, but the the tourney ground way it was shaped kind of looked like a vagina, which would make sense considering the one of the themes of the episode was the whole childbirth and bed is like a battleground kind of thing. Yeah, read the room, Damon. To go with what you're saying, Curtis Franks, maybe sending away Damon is removing Viserys's best assets, therefore weakening him. Well, it's important to note that the scene construction uh, told tells you something about that scene. So Damon gets sent away. He goes off in a huff. He gets on axes with my son. And you see Eris has cut himself on the Iron Throne again. That this is, it's not just Damon that's self-destructive. It's not only him that is self-inflicting wounds because of bad decisions and pride. It's Viserys too. I mean, it's, it's like, in real life, it would just be an accident. Oh, wow, you just cut yourself. But, you know, it's it's a story. So you're supposed to draw meaning from it. Him cutting himself on the Iron Throne after sending away the guy who's telling him the truth he needs to get back control of his kingdom is a, a visual metaphor for you to understand about what just happened from that scene. Can we address the so-called wokeness? The Valerians were some of the worst people. No, no, we can't. Incorrect. Yes, the Kuleshov effect. Well, sort of. No. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it is a little bit. The women in the Vale being more attractive. The sheep being more attractive than Vale women. Are there any attractive Vale women? Emma Aaron. She's from the Vale. She's attractive. Although she's half Targaryen. I really thought the it was a shame that they killed Emma Aaron in the first episode. I thought the actress was really good. I thought her role in with Rena and their relationship and all that stuff was... I don't know. I wish we could have gotten more from her than just one episode where she dies in childbirth. It's like the most germ ending for a female character that's ever existed. Interesting character, gets pregnant, dies in childbirth, off the screen. Yes, that's, that's exactly right, Curtis Franks. The Kuleshov effect was definitely in, in effect with all the stuff I was talking about at the start of the stream with how the, uh, the dream and the tourney versus the birthing bed stuff was being used to create meaning between them. Like, that's how you... The Kuleshov effect is literally how you can tie together those scenes with the dream that Viserys talked about earlier. On their own, they mean much less. It's just attorney, but you put them together and you have something. Maybe we'll have... What did I just do to my hat? What am I doing here? All right. There we go. Perfect. Died faster than Sean Bean. Sean Bean lasted quite a while into Game of Thrones before he died. Good, good on Beanie. 
at least the Dowie normally goes. Was there anything else I wanted to talk about? Was there anything you guys want to talk about? Any questions? Anything like that? I'll throw them into the chat if I miss them while monologuing. Let's go Balon. Talked about that one. Damon being sensitive. Deanna Stark posting. Got that one. Otto and Gwen. The visuals. Nailed that one. Emma Aaron's death in the Song of Ice and Fire. Nailed that one. I guess there there was a real sense that there's a of that relationship that Emily Carey and Millie Alcock has been talking about that. There's a real affection between Allison and Rhaenyra from a young age. You know, Rhaenyra says the line about how she would rather be a knight than a than a princess sort of thing. I mean, it's the Arya Sansa sort of dichotomy in the relationship, but it yeah, it comes off much more. What was the word people were saying? Like sapphic or something? I think it's quite clear that Rhaenyra had a different life for herself planned out. And so I actually saw parallels between her and Bran in what was going on here. That something having to do. She's out hanging out by a weirwood. She has plans of being, you know, a famous knight and a dragon rider and traveling the world. Bran says kind of similar things minus the dragon. And then Bran gets shoved out of tower and then Emma and Balon die. And suddenly their lives are changed in ways that they have no choice in. You know, Rhaenyra had no opportunity to say no to being heir, that kind of stuff. wonder how they're going to handle my Sarius and she seems close to the fundamentally evil. I don't remember Fire and Blood giving a lot of nuance. In Fire and Blood, she's pretty evil. She's responsible for blood and cheese and just a bunch of murders, but we don't really know what, we don't really know a lot about her. They gave an interview with the actress and I, I can't remember her name at this point. They put it on the HBO Max channel and they were talking about how they put a lot more into Mysaria than a lot of other characters because her characterization in the in Fire and Blood is so light and it's so one one way. So well, I think we're going to see a lot more from her. Sapphic, is that the word? Okay. Rhaenyra definitely seemed to enjoy pushing Allison's numbers or pushing her buttons, as it were. Take that as you will. You could definitely see the idea that Allison was the good girl following all the rules and sort of like that's probably one of the reasons she admires Damon and ends up really liking him is that she he lives the life that she wishes she could have that kind of thing. She wants to be Damon. <laughs> all right, let's see here. So Dragon's World done. I didn't like the way they did King's Landing. It looked fake. So they definitely tried to make King's Landing look something like Hogwarts, or I think I already said this. They wanted it to look super real. They wanted it to look decadent. They wanted it to look like, what is it? The, the harbors in, uh, in Lord of the Rings where they end up going to it. They wanted it to look like a magical city. They wanted it to look like the height of Targaryen power. And I think that's just for this episode. I think it's going to fall. It's going to very quickly go more into the the ruin of blood and dragon fire that we know and love of King's Landing. Certainly they contrasted the opening shots of King's Landing and the Red Keep looking beautiful and awesome. And then they instantly went to Damon going through it, beating up people, cutting off limbs and throwing them in a cart. So there's definitely a dichotomy to the city they're going to play with. Looked like it was one-sided. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seemed like, I wonder how much Allison hangs out with Rina because Otto told her to. Because he definitely told her to be around Viserys. Gonna have to see about that one. Nessie says, wonder what happened to the King's Landing Weirwood. So this is one of the things that confused me for a while. Because there is no King's Landing Weirwood in the books. This was an invention of the show, I believe. King's Landing never had a Weirwood. They had an oak in the Godswood instead. So that it's full and growing here. And it's not a huge Weirwood. It's relatively young, it looks like. It's not like the size of the King's Landing one, I don't think. I mean, the... Winterfell one, I don't think. It looks smaller, I think. But at some point, it's going to get cut down, obviously. And I'm wondering when that, yeah, when is that going to come? 
why would they put the weirwood back into the show if they're not going to do something with it? Maybe during one of the sacks of King's Landing, maybe during the moon of the three kings. Is this going to be something where it get, it gets cut down to send a message like to the greens or Aegon or Aegon the second cut it down after basically all the followers of the old gods uh, side with Rhaenyra. That would be an interesting way to do it. They had a weirwood tree in King's Landing. In, I'm pretty sure in the show. I don't think they had one in the books. Hang on a second. Let me double check this. I thought somebody corrected me on this on Twitter a while back. Yeah, it's not in the books. There isn't one. It's it's a it's an oak burned by the dragons. I think it's a stump in the in Game of Thrones. So I'm curious what ends up happening. Yeah, it's an oak. Sansa goes by it all the time and she note and she's like disappointed that it's not a weirwood. She's disappointed that it sh- she thinks it should be to actually pray to the old gods that she doesn't think it like works or something like that. Let's see here. 100% on Otto's influence on Allison and Rhaenyra. Getting your celebrations to be handmaids to the king's wife or daughters is a huge way to gain influence at court. Your history A level. So yeah, it it may very well be that Alice, that Rhaenyra is has a misunderstanding about how much Allison actually wants to hang around with her, which would kind of work because it's not like Allison's going to catch feelings for King Viserys. She's going to do it for the family. She's going to do it because Otto told her to, not because she actually likes the guy. She actually seems to have a crush on Damon more than anybody. So, but it could go either way. Yeah, we're going to get going here in a little bit. We've been going for like almost two hours. Oh, by the way, one thing I wanted to say, if there's anybody, well, actually the, I was didn't quite get to Game of Thrones season eight numbers for streaming. I was going to add way more mods, but maybe I don't have to see how the, the ratings come in and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it would it would suck if she was there to spy and that could be part of their relationship. But Emily Carey has, I think, has definitely talked about that Otto and Rainier have a close relationship. So maybe they were ordered to be together, but they actually did end up becoming quite close. That would be something. High Targs might have the High Targs might have a stake in cutting down the weirwood. That would make a lot of sense. Oh, there's 50 other streams right now. Wow, that sucks. That's how it goes, I guess. It's show season. You're competing against everyone. Let's see here. Anything else in the chat before we get out of here? I'm sure all Chip Tex is on right now. He probably has like a thousand, ten thousand viewers or something like that. Usually how he rolls. Red keeps still look yellowish. Yeah, they they've lightened it from the trailer and the promos, but it's it's still very much yellowish. Like I talked about in the second teaser video how i complained how they were using a very dark a very dark yellow grade on everything didn't look that good air for a day good one jt small emma aaron only was on set for literally one day or uh, sean brook book sean book i had to learn how to say that once yeah should i should be a good net rest of the season yeah i think i'm about i'm about streamed out we did roberts earlier today then did this one and gonna try and get working on a video tomorrow morning so I think we about nailed everything. I guess, I guess kind of, what did I think? Oh, and do you think the prophecy Viserys talks about is a hint at Bran having something to do with it? May even tie into them adding the weirwood tree. I definitely think that there's going to be a much higher percentage of like old gods and weirwoods and all that other kind of stuff than many lit on or many think is going to happen, especially from reading fire and blood quite literally the maesters and Gildane and all those other characters are not the kind that would be tuned into that kind of stuff. You know, the dreams are coming from somewhere. They chose to insert a weirwood in the first episode where they didn't have to, they could have had it cut down now or something like that. Cause the, the stumps last forever. Basically they put in a full weirwood and had Rhaenyra and Alicent sitting underneath it for a reason. That's clearly, that was a big expensive prop to make. So it's not going anywhere and it should signal quite a bit. 
I mean, also the, it's also the fact that a weirwood featured prominently in a episode that was primarily about teaching the audience how to understand dragon dreams and how they make the Targaryens do things. It's probably not a mistake that those two things are being tied together. Oh, we're seeing the God's eye. We're going to see Damon at Harrenhal. We're going to see Harrenhal itself, most likely with Harwin Strong's and Lionel Strong's unfortunate burning when Damon goes there. There's going to be a lot more old God stuff than I think people realize. I don't know about this season, but we're definitely going to see Harrenhal. So yeah, get ready for that one. I think Harwin should probably die for 10 episodes. He's probably going to die like episode eight, I would guess. But yeah, definitely season two. Do you think we'll see some of the Valyrian gods in that religion? Definitely. I think we're going to see a lot more about the Valyrian gods, the Valyrian religion, their relationship to the dragons and Balion. Who knows? Maybe there'll even be a glass candle somewhere. They should be working. The dragons are around, so I wouldn't be shocked if they are around somewhere. Anyway, yeah, I think that my voice is starting to go, so I think I'll, I think we're going to end it here. I'll see you guys next sunday night we'll figure out that i think i'm gonna have a guest for that one so it won't just be me talking for two hours anyway have a good night thanks for hanging out